Welcome to the Central Baptist Victoria podcast. Here's today's message. This morning, um, as you heard, my name is Sean. It has been um, a, a real treat getting to know some of you. I want to thank you for your, your warm welcome. Uh, you have been coming out to different events to get to know us and spend time and, and have been so kind to uh, my family and, and my kids. Right away from our first interactions with your search committee and your board, we were really amazed by the warmth um, and, and just the, the ease with, with which we were able to connect with uh, folks from Central. So I want to thank you. And just personally, I feel very humbled and honored to even be here and even being considered to be part of your world-class team. You guys have an amazing, amazing staff team here. And so, um, yeah. So now it's time to lower the bar a little bit, maybe. We'll, we'll see. Um, I also just want to acknowledge that this is, this is kind of weird. This is kind of weird for you, and this is kind of weird for me. This is the closest version we have to a, some church version of America's Got Talent, because I'm up here <laughs> performing, and you guys are all evaluating and judging and like how was his intro did he get to the scripture well did he make me feel something and and I, and I get that and then it's kind of like reverse survivor because then on Wednesday you're going to vote to maybe I come into your tribe and so it's I, it's all it's all just kind of strange but but here's what I'm asking uh, of you uh, something not great happens to our hearts when we come into God's house as either a performer or as a judge. And so I'm going to ask this morning, I know like, I know this is a big deal for the future of Central, and this is a really big deal for my family and our future, but I'm going to ask that you just try to be present this morning and, and, and let Jesus try to intersect his word with your life, all right? I'm going to be reading to you from the uh, Gospel of Mark, chapter 14, uh, verses 1 to 11. And, and what I want to do this morning is I want to kind of set the stage mentally and emotionally to prepare us later in the sermon to feel the full impact of these words and the implications they might have for you and for, and for Central. So let's open up to Mark, chapter 14, and we'll begin reading in verse 1. After two days, it was the Passover and the festival of unleavened bread. The chief priests and the scribes were looking for a treacherous way to arrest and kill Jesus. Not during the festival, they said, or there may be rioting among the people. While Jesus was in Bethany at the house of Simon, a leper, as he was reclining at the table, a woman came with an alabaster jar of pure and expensive fragrant oil of nard. She broke the jar, and she poured it on Jesus' head. But some were expressing indignation to one another. Why has this fragrant oil been so wasted? For this oil might have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor, and they began to scold her. But Jesus said, leave her alone. Why are you bothering her? She has done a noble thing, a beautiful thing for me. You always have the poor with you. 
but you do not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body in advance for burial. I assure you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told in memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priest to hand Jesus over to them. And when they heard this, they were glad and promised to give him silver. So they started looking for a good opportunity to betray him. This is the word of the Lord. Um, I love the story of this woman's courage to to seize her short moment that she had to love on Jesus. And the text says that, that what prompted her and drove her to do this was that she is moved and tuned in to Jesus' upcoming burial. She realizes how short the time is. And it is that reality that moves her to a new level of clarity of action and boldness and behavior. Now, I, I resonate with this story because six months ago, I, I sat with my dad holding his hand as he took his last breath. And, and as he, after he passed away, we, we were around him and uh, around his bed and we prayed and we sang and we read scriptures and we wept. And, and it was a, a, a beautiful, utterly horrific experience that I hold as, as utterly sacred. Um, perhaps an hour after my dad died, my stepmom pulled me aside and said, Sean, dad wanted you to build his casket. And I said, wait, wait, what? Build his, like, for real? And she said, yeah, everything that he thought you would need, he's already bought and it's in the shop. And I was stunned, and I stammered something like, okay, like I know I do a lot of funerals and stuff, but there are limits to my expertise. Um, casket building was not a seminary course I took. And she said, she said I, I know, but he wants to be laid to rest in the work of you and your brother's hands. My mind panicked. I, I'm thinking, like, are you kidding me? Like, is this even legal? Can you do that? And you can, by the way, my aunt contacted the provincial authorities and got the required building codes. There are building codes for caskets, and we followed them. Now, I'm thinking in my head, I'm thinking, okay, this is kind of weird. Um, this is kind of like my dad's last practical joke that he's pulling on us, because what are you going to say to his last request other than okay? So my brothers and I got to work planning and sketching out designs and dimensions, trying to figure out how we'd attach handles for the pallbearers and how we'd affix ropes so we could lower my dad into his resting place. And for the next two days, I worked building my dad's casket. Strange, right? I actually now see it as a last beautiful gift from my dad to my brothers and I. You see, because I spent a lot of time alone in the shop with this casket, sanding it, staining it, sealing it, but mostly I just stared into its open maw where there was no escaping that, that this is the end. There, there was no escaping that this pine box in time is going to turn to dust and my dad with it. 
Now, a nice casket, I mean a real one, like one of those $5,000 deluxe models, they come with, you know, polished stainless steel exteriors and nice plush satin interiors, and they're actually designed like hermetically sealed time capsules. And they're designed to actually ward off the, the truth that we don't want to be faced with. That from dust we came, and very shortly from dust we will return. Or as the writer James says, that you and I are just a vapor. We're just a mist that vanishes, that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Or, or maybe you like the poetic words of Psalm 103, when David writes, As for man, his days are like grass. He blooms like a flower in the field, and when the wind passes over it, he vanishes it. He vanishes, and even the place remembers him no more. And so as I sanded the corner of this humbling box, I pondered those words afresh, and they were a sobering reminder to me that, that death is meticulous at rounding up every living thing, including me, including you, including the people that we love. And as I pondered this, I, I viscerally, viscerally felt the absurdity of so many of my choices. Like how much energy I, I've wasted about worrying about things that just don't matter. Or, or how often I, I hold tight to offenses that now seem trivial. And, and how much of my limited time I have spent chasing after achievements and accomplishments that are bound for oblivion. I have worked so hard at things that don't matter one rip. And those thoughts droned on in my head as I stared into this casket. Um, spoiler alert, a hundred years from now, nobody is going to care one bit about your Salesman of the Year award. And yet, for whatever reason, most of us, and I put myself in that category, most of us go through life with our priorities actually inverted. And, and what I mean by that is that we make the least important things the most urgent and pressing, and the most important things in life carry very little urgency toward us. Um, Rachel, come up here. Let me, let me illustrate to you what I mean. I'm going to borrow an illustration from... Francis Chan, who borrowed it from Erwin Lutzer, who probably borrowed it from somebody else. But this illustration, I think, is going to help you make sense of what I'm talking about here. Now, uh, imagine that this rope heads out that way. Do you want to, Rachel, head that rope out that way? Imagine this rope, it punches a hole through that wall, and it, sits, it starts heading, you know, we'll say... East. I don't know where we're, or, but to pretend this is east. We're heading east. I have no idea. You're like, no, not. It's heading east, and it goes through this wall, and, it, and it, it carries through the city, and it gets to the strait, and it crosses the strait to the lower mainland, and it goes right through the Fraser Valley into the interior of BC. It goes past my house over the Rocky Mountains. It gets to the prairies. It goes straight right through the prairies. It gets to Ontario. It bypasses Toronto because of the leaves obviously, <laughs> right? But, but it just keeps going straight. Okay, um, imagine that. This, this rope 
represents your existence. The, the Bible says that you and I are eternal beings, which means that your soul, which is imprinted with everything that makes you, you, your soul exists forever. So, so it just keeps going. And this little bit right here, this is your earthly life. And so many of us are living as if this is all there is. As if this is all that matters. And we're fixated with what happens here. Like, like if maybe we work really hard at this part and save some money, then we can really enjoy this season right here. And we put precious little thought to where you and I and everybody else that we know is going to be after this point. And so pretty much all of our life choices reflect this with very little reflection on all that comes after. Now some of you in this room, you are stressing out, you are busting your body, doing as much overtime as you can for so that you can add a thousand square feet to your house for this chunk. As if that is the most important thing. As if down the road there, you're gonna be reminiscing on how much closet space you had here. We put so much of our priorities and our time and our money on things here as if in 118,000 years from now, you're gonna still be nostalgic about that new car smell that you had for four months right here. Like, it's absurd, but it's our reality, isn't it? And, and right here, right at that moment, this is your death. This is the moment when everything that happens after here is irrevocably set. It's fixed in stone it is eternally unchangeable. There are no do-overs. When you pass through death, all that is stretching out before you is sealed, and it just keeps going and going and going. But here's the amazing thing, is that what we do here, in this little vapor of time, be it 30 years or 90 years, what happens here carries incredible potential with eternal weight that you and I can make choices here and now that reverberate into eternity. That you literally can use your few years, your little mist of a life, to fight for the eternity of people. And nothing else central is more important than that. Because the only thing that makes it out of this world is people. That's the only thing that lasts. There's no commodity that makes it to the next life. There's no accomplishments or degrees or ministry or buildings or titles or achievements, just souls. And our Lord Jesus taught us that every single human being will be resurrected to spend eternity in one of two places, in communion with him forever or cut off from him in grinding darkness and despair. And so this morning, you and I and everyone that we love, we are two liters of oxygen away from eternity. 
just this little bit of oxygen in our lungs. That's the only thing that's keeping us from eternity. And we know this, but we don't know this. I mean, not really. We're, we're, we're like the disciples. The disciples in our story, they, they don't realize how short the time is. They don't realize how small the closing window is of time they actually have with Jesus. They think there's going to be plenty more days, and so their priorities are all mixed up. If they realize how short their time is with Jesus, their priorities would have looked more like this lady's. But Jesus says, the poor you'll always have with you. She has done a good thing. And in my experience, it is those people who refuse to forget that we are all tap dancing on the knife edge of eternity that actually invest their life. They spend their life. They have the grit and the perseverance to spend the vapor of their lives doing something that lasts. People like Jessica. Uh, Jessica's a lady from my church who was introduced to our church about 12 years ago. She came to our church asking some big questions, and she found these, these deep longings inside her for forgiveness and unconditional love, which she found both in Jesus. Jessica's life is a bit messy. She battles debilitating depression. She's been through relational heartbreak and trauma. And yet, in the midst of the mess of her life, the love and hope of Jesus has met her and keeps leading her into more life. And Jessica, I love her because she is straight up honest about the mess and straight up honest about how Jesus continually meets her in the mess. And she tells that story, her story in Jesus, to everyone that she will meet. And because of that, she has brought more people to our church who have become connected to our church. And, and honestly, a typical Sunday morning for me goes like this. Hey, you're new to Mountainside. That's great. How, how did you come? She's like, oh, yeah, somebody brought me. I'm like, Jessica? They're like, how did you know? I'm like, just a, just a wild guess. Easter week, um, uh, an immigrant lady who is a dentist in our community from southern Ireland who grew up Catholic came to our church in September with Jessica and on Easter weekend she put her faith in Jesus and had her whole world changed. She met with me last Tuesday wanted to talk about getting baptized. You see, Jessica actually believes that she is a trustee of the best news that this sad and sin-broken world will ever hear, that our God actually wrote himself into humanity's story that he came and he put himself on the line. That he came speaking the language of, of, of skin and breath and he came swinging love in every direction. Love for anyone, love for everyone. It didn't matter how lost or messed up or how far gone. Jesus made real, actual people feel like the real God of the universe actually loved them that he would welcome them with open arms until his love would actually lead Jesus to open his arms wide, to secure our forgiveness, to purchase our eternities, to offer to tether our rope to his forever. And so Jessica 
having experienced this love, sees it as her pressing honor to share this hope while there is yet time. And God keeps using her to rewrite eternities in Jesus' name. Which brings me back to our story in Mark 14. You probably know the story. The, the, the winds of treachery are kind of gusting around Jesus at gale force right now. The chief priests have convened a meeting to plot and plan the best way to rid the world of Jesus. And now, this is no surprise to our Lord. Um, he entered Jerusalem just a few days before for this exact purpose. He knew that this storm is coming for him. In fact, he told his followers, his disciples, as much in sometimes veiled and sometimes very straight up, plain truth. Uh, the Son of Man is going to go to the Jerusalem is going to be handed over to the chief priests where they're going to kill him and he will rise again. Like he was pretty clear about what was going to happen. But for some reason, the disciples couldn't connect the dots. And, and I try to be gracious to them and I think that I probably wouldn't have either because the idea of Jesus, this man of, of such goodness and power, this man who clearly walked in the presence of God, that this man would be murdered and out of this evil, God would write a new covenant of forgiveness between God and humanity that's, that's as big as eternity itself and all of it is inked in the blood of Jesus. That is a vision too horrific and too marvelous for them to fathom. And so Jesus' repeated words about his coming death, it just didn't land in their hearts or their imaginations least not to the men. It seems that one person, one lady, she caught the premonition of the storm that's coming for Jesus. And it is her love for our Lord and the urgency of his impending death that brings a clarity to her thinking and her priorities. And she does something so shocking, it seems foolhardy. She enters the, the dinner party and she breaks the neck of the alabaster jar and she pours this crazy expensive perfume on Jesus' head and she begins working the fragrant oil into his hair. I, I see silent tear drip down her cheek as the room fills with this beautiful aroma. Now, now it's probably awkward in the room for everybody else. Some in the group are not impressed the disciples are like, uh, Jesus, um, this woman is in clear violation of page 87 of our policy manual that me and the guys wrote, which says that all gifts equal to or exceeding three months' salary are supposed to be recommended to the finance committee to evaluate for distribution to the poor. So it says nothing about dumping stuff on your head here. For those who have ears, let them hear. <laughs> and Jesus says, leave her alone. She's done a beautiful thing. A thing that will last. For he says in verse 9, wherever in the world the gospel is proclaimed, what this woman has done will be told in memory of her. Now just think of that. That is a legacy. That somehow her actions and her choices 
are so intertwined with Jesus' gospel that where the one is spoken, the other will also have to be spoken of as well. Friends, you want to grow in boldness. You want to spend your life in a way that has consequence. Fall more in love with Jesus. Do whatever it takes. Do whatever breathes fresh oxygen on the coals of your heart's affections for Jesus because hear me, lovers of Jesus outperform religious workers every time. In fact, the people who have made the greatest impact for eternity are also the people who seem to have loved Jesus the most. And that's what our neighbors need to see. That's what the next generation needs to see. That's what your children need to see. That's what this city needs to see is men and women more and more in love with Jesus. A love that loosens up tongues. A love that that swells faith. A love that gets feet moving. A love that finds fresh oxygen that brings out new flames in our heart's passion because men and women who do that will see new glorious things be birthed out of their lives and birthed out of their church that will ripple into eternity, I promise you. If we come back to our text, what specifically has she done that Jesus says is noble and good and beautiful? What, what, what specifically is he affirming? Well, the context seems to suggest that, that it, the beauty of her action rests in its connection to his sacrifice in a couple of days. And I'm speculating here, but let your sanctified imagination go with me, okay? I can't help but wonder, as our Jesus hung on the cross in a couple of days' time, And as he stares out through swollen, puffy eyes at faces that are scoffing and jeering at him. And as his eyes feel the sting of of trickles of blood that run like rivulets down from each thorn mark in his brow. And as his ears hear the taunts and the jeering and the insults that are hurled at him, and as his tongue tastes the sour wine and the bitter gall, and as he feels with every nerve and every spasming muscle the horror of his crucifixion, I can't help but wonder if in the middle of all of that, as his hair hung down in his face, glistening with sweat, caked in blood, that the one thing that ministered to our Lord in the face of everything he sees and hears and tastes and feels is the smell of this woman's gift on his hair. This aroma of her love. I see Jesus closing his eyes, breathing in the perfume, lingering there. It's like this this little harbor of kindness in the horror that he is experiencing. For even the sky will go black, and the Father will turn his face away, and Jesus will hang there utterly alone as sin's punishment. And maybe this lingering smell helped remind him why. That he is hanging there so that our stories don't need to end in grinding despair and darkness. 
so that real men and women might know real love and discover that our lives can be eternally connected to God's. That, that maybe it was the smell of her hair that reminded him of the joy set before him. I don't know, but I know that Jesus says, I want you to talk about this woman wherever you talk about my gospel, even here in Victoria. Because it had that much consequence. This woman loved our Jesus so much. And it reminds us that lovers of Jesus outperform workers every time because love is what drives people to do something that lasts. Till the day that I die, I'll tell the story of Clive Maurer. Um, you probably don't know the name because he never wrote a book. Um, there's no hospital that has a wing that bears his name. There's no street named after him in his hometown. I googled Clive and literally found nothing on the internet about him. Zero. So what has he done that's made a lasting impact? Well, in the summer of 1985, he agreed to be a counselor at a boys' Bible camp. This was a stretch because he was in his late 60s. And he had like creaky knees and an ailing back and he had a cabin full of rambunctious 12-year-old boys. And I can think of a laundry list of reasons why Clive could have easily said no to this request. It's ridiculous, it doesn't make sense, it's gonna cost too much, I'm, somebody else can do it, somebody better can do it. But he said yes. Because Clive knows, knew that not only does God want to use him, Jesus actually prefers to use weak and normal people to do his best work. And so he said yes. And so for that week at camp, he did his best to try to keep up with the boys. And when he couldn't, he sat and watched and laughed and smiled and prayed. And the warmth of his spirit moved one curly-haired boy with dark eyebrows to talk to him about Jesus while everybody else was playing capture the flag. And in that conversation, tons of soil was moved in this boy's heart. And seeds were planted as this man shared both the gospel that he loved and the aroma of Jesus that he loved to this 12-year-old. And even though Clive only saw this boy once after, he wrote him letters telling him that he was continually going to pray with him, that those seeds would take root in his heart. And six years later, they did. This boy, now a gangly university student, put his faith in Jesus and breathed the aroma of life for the very first time. And that boy is now standing in front of you preaching Jesus' gospel. And I think back to 1985, and I could imagine a conversation where some hip angel in heaven is looking down at the scene and says to Jesus, like, come on, can we not get something better for 12-year-old boys and a geriatric camp counselor? Is this the best that we could do? And Jesus says, leave him alone. He has done a beautiful thing. Clive is gone. The fields don't even remember that he was there. His little mist of a life is spent. 
But wherever my gospel story is mentioned, Clive's name gets shared along with Jesus's. Because thanks in part to him, the trajectory of my eternity and the substance of my here and now has been changed forever by Jesus. And so let me ask you, what are you investing in that will carry on into eternity? Who are you investing in that will carry on into eternity? What are you laboring after? Where are your, what is the most urgent thing in your life? Is it the most important? Or have you been like so much of my life where those things got inverted? Brothers and sisters, may we never forget that the alabaster jar of our Lord's body was broken over our heads. And you and I have been anointed with his righteousness and his life and his fragrance. And central, I can smell the aroma of Christ in this room. It's heavy on you. It's a beautiful thing. There is so much eternity-changing potential in this room. Don't waste it. Don't keep it to yourself. Don't play it safe. May the Spirit of God use us to spread the aroma of Jesus everywhere. For we are to God the pleasing aroma among those who are being saved. May it be true of you and I. Hallelujah. Thanks for listening. We want to take a moment to thank you for listening. And we invite you to join us on Sunday mornings in person or online. For more information about who we are and what's happening at the church, visit us online at centralbaptistchurch.ca. And it would mean so much to us if you took a moment to rate and review the podcast. It's one of the best ways you can help us spread the truth of the gospel online. Thanks for listening to the Central Baptist Church Victoria podcast.